Um, I'll introduce myself again. My name is Amy. A third of you might know me as Josh's wife. A third of you know me as Nora Noble and Nellie's mom. And a third of you are squinting and asking, does she even go here? <laughs> I am very introverted, so I am often hiding in the back. Not from you, no. But no, I, to calm my nerves, I was going to pretend that there weren't a lot of people here, and it's working. So this is awesome. With us kicking off a new series called Insta Family, and with today being Mother's Day, I am going to be talking about kids and motherhood and parenthood, but I do think that there is stuff in this message for everybody because I view motherhood as an opportunity to create disciples. And we are all called to create disciples. It's the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and create disciples of all nations. So if you have received the calling to create disciples, then I believe if you just kind of shift some of the pronouns and the nouns in this message that you can apply some of this to your life. Let's pray. Father, my words alone, they can't amount to much, but unless they are graced by the anointing of your Holy Spirit. So I ask for the grace and the anointing and the measure needed for this morning in Jesus' name. How many of you have seen those clickbait articles roaming the internet that promise things like how to get your toddler to stop having a tantrum with these three words? Or how to get your teenager to listen to you with these four techniques? We gravitate to them, we pour over them, we implement the methods, and then we shake our fist at the sky when it doesn't work, and we are left feeling empty and defeated. And I found myself a while back in this vicious cycle, feeling empty and defeated. Knowing that motherhood was a calling on my life, I came to God in prayer saying, this is not what you've called me to be, it's to be empty and defeated. Show me what I'm missing. And he effectively erased some bad mindsets that I had, and he inscribed new ones. And that is my prayer for you today, that God would give you new mindsets. Um, before I get into the sermon, I need to establish something that's going to guide the rest of this. This is the lens I want you to see everything else through, and it's this. Kids matter. Kids matter. Our culture tells us the opposite. They've long fed us the lie that they are low priority. They're cute, well-dressed little burdens that we must manage and keep quiet. You ever heard the phrase, kids are to be seen, not heard? Rachel Jankovic, she's an essayist and a writer, she had a really great thought on kids' value that I'm going to paraphrase for you. Kids rank below having a hefty bank account. Kids rank below being physically fit, below having a good education, below sitting and staring at the wall, picking at your nails, if that's how you want to spend your time. Our culture has put this mentality into everything. The idea that kids are these massive burdens, it's mainstream. You see it all over social media. And the philosophy that we should do and pursue what makes our life the easiest and makes us feel the happiest, that's an elevated philosophy. And this mindset went from being in the subtext, subliminal, to outright in the late 60s when abortion was put into law. What we think we want with our lives in the moment out, outweighs a child's entire life. What we think we want with our life in the moment 
outweighs a child's entire life. And this breaks my heart. I hope it breaks yours too. Now you think I can't relate to any of that. Of course I value kids. And I thought I was in that camp too until I realized that I wasn't. And what this looked like for me was the inability to sit with a toy dinosaur in one hand without having a book or the Instagram scroll in the other telling my kids, you're not worth my full attention. Now Jesus' life as written in the Bible, I like to view it as one elaborate picture of how to do life for dummies. Um, every word, every action, every parable, every story was put in there on purpose to show us how we should do this thing called life. And so we are called to die to ourselves every day. He says, take up your cross and follow me and live out this beautiful gospel message in front of and for your kids who matter so very much. So please, let's stop pushing kids to the side. Stop glaring at moms, stumbling into quiet rooms with loud kids. Stop rolling our eyes at the kid having a difficult time in the grocery store. Stop staring at the clock, willing for it to be 8 o'clock so we can just shove them into bed and be done. And let's envelope the words of Jesus himself who said, let the little children come. Now, my heart is not to condemn. Know that I'm not up here standing on a soapbox or a pedestal speaking down to you, not knowing the struggle of this journey. I'm in the trenches with you working out my own salvation alongside of you. And my hope is that you walk away with a new sight for what is right in front of you. Um, I want to now shift into some of the mindsets that have helped me to live out this truth that kids matter. And I know so far it's been blatantly very much about kids. So those of you that have tuned me out and you're waiting, you thought I was going to have the discipleship piece, here it comes. Um, my first point is that we are not wardens. We're not called to control. We're so tempted to, especially when it's inopportune not to. We're in line at the grocery store. We just want to be done. We're at church. People are watching. We're trying to get out the door. We're so tempted in those times to manipulate and hyper-control our kids' every move. But that's not our calling. And this is coming from a recovering control freak. Even as a kid, I remember having my friends over into my room, and we'd be hanging out. They'd pick up a picture and set it down, and when they turn around, I would, like, re-angle it to the 45-degree angle it was at before. And this spilled out into adulthood. When I was pregnant with our second, we were scheduled to have him through a C-section. And I was so excited because I knew exactly what day and what time Noble was going to come. I had every day leading up until that day accounted for with schedules and to-do lists. It was all planned out. Well, then Noble inevitably decided to come 24 hours early. And instead of being excited to meet him sooner, I was mad because he ruined my plans and my sense of control was out the window. But you see, control is an illusion. It was never ours to have. Um, we must eliminate control out of our lives. Why? Because control stems from fear. It's different for all of us, whether it's fear of failing Fear of what our kids are going to turn out to be like. Fear of what our life will be if we loosen our grip of control. Fear of embarrassment. But the Bible tells us that perfect love casts out all fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. 
But control has been an issue since the beginning, since the garden. Man and woman decided to take control back over their lives from God, to receive the knowledge of good and evil at the cost of a broken relationship. Sometimes as a parent, we substitute relationship for control over our kids. Now I want to talk about Adam and Eve for a little bit. Um, this is one of the stories that I go to when I wonder what God would be like as a parent. So for those of you who don't know, Adam and Eve were the first two people created. God put them in this beautiful lush garden with lots of trees, lots of fruit, all these choices, all these wonderful things. And he had one rule for them. Don't eat of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. They could eat of anything else but that one tree. Now, if I was the parent, if I was God, which thankfully I'm not, I would have been like, okay, God, put them back to sleep. I know you can do it because that's how you created Eve. So put them back to sleep. Let's transplant this tree, uproot it, move it onto the other side of the world. Let's hide it behind a huge rock and be like, nothing to see here, Adam. Nothing to see here, Eve. <laughs> um, I would have wanted to have controlled the situation to give them virtually no other choice but to obey me. That's what I would do if I was in charge. But God, in his grace and wisdom, didn't do that. He kept the tree right in the middle of the garden because he knew that true love and true obedience cannot be forced. Forced actions don't reflect the heart, and we want to penetrate the heart. We want to give the choice to obey and to love because we are called to love, not to rules. The Pharisees, they didn't get this. They were really tripped up and stuck on the rules. Um, in the New Testament, they had come up to Jesus trying to trip him up one time, and they said, we can't follow all these rules too much. Give us one that we can focus on and put our energy toward. Let us know what that would be. And in Luke 10, 27, Jesus responds, saying, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. In this, Jesus implies that relationship is more important than rules. He still cares about our sin. It breaks his heart when we mess up, when we disobey, but he's not worried about that. He's after our heart. He wants us to obey him not out of fear, not out of duty, not out of obligation, but out of respect and love and a desire to do what pleases him. And I want to mirror that in the way I parent. I want my kids to obey me in that same way. Not my job to prevent them from sinning. It's my job to lead them to the one who can. Now, to paint a picture for you of what it looks like to live in more freedom versus rigidity and control, I want to invite you into the Wen household kitchen and show you the difference between Josh cooking dinner and when I'm cooking dinner. I'll paint the picture for you for when Josh is cooking dinner. The music is loud. The, there might be like a podcast going. He's kind of humming and singing and moving from thing to thing. He's got his man apron on. And he's just kind of dancing through the process, just enjoying it, allowing room for mistakes, for error. He tastes along the way, see how it is, maybe adds a little salt, adds a little pepper. 
and enjoys it. If I come in with a question or the kids need something, he'll just keep stirring and chopping and talk at the same time. He can handle the interruptions. Now let's paint the picture for when I'm cooking. The music is turned down because I need to focus. I've got all my recipe cards laid out. I've got my measuring cups here, my measuring spoons. The ingredients are laid out in chronological order. There's no tasting along the way because it says three-fourths a teaspoon of salt. That's exactly what it needs. If the kids come in with an interruption, I'll say, guys, hold on. I'm on step two. I got to really focus here. I can't talk to you right now. Now, we might present the same exact dish to the dinner table. It might taste the same. But the process we took to get there was very different. Josh allowed room for interruptions, for errors. He allowed himself to enjoy the process, to let go a little bit and be free. And I was very rigid. And if there was something like we were out of salt, dinner's over. I, I can't do this. <laughs> um, but Josh also doesn't go haphazardly into it. He doesn't just start randomly pulling things out of the fridge and out of the pantry and just tossing them together in a pan and see, let's just see what happens. Is the chicken supposed to be pink? I don't know. It's probably fine. No, he knows what he's doing. He sought advice and wisdom. He has a goal in mind the whole time. And with parenthood, when we are living in freedom, we still want to have goals. We still want to know at the end, what are the things, the fruit we want to see in our kid? What are the kind of things we want to produce in our children? And seek advice and mentorship and wisdom to help us get the tools we need to get them there. Now, it's not foolproof. Josh has had some flaps, not as many as me, but it, it's not foolproof, but just enjoying the process and being free to allow room in the margins for mistakes along the way. Our kitchen is for dancing. Well, unless I'm cooking. No. <laughs> um, another aspect of control that I've been learning is the difference between peacekeeping and peacemaking. Sounds like the same exact word, but they're very different. Peacekeeping is very inward focused. It's very driven by anxiety of I have to control everything and everyone around me to try to maintain my fragile peace inside of me. It's a fight to keep your peace and it's exhausting. Peacemaking has the wisdom of knowing I can't control my circumstances. I can't control the people around me. What can I control? The nourishment of my soul and the atmosphere that I produce. And how do we do that? In John 15, abiding, it says John 15, verse 5, Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. And this brings great glory to my Father. And I had to really learn peacekeeping versus peacemaking, and this was implemented on Wednesday nights. Now, Wednesday nights, if you have a kid between the ages of 13 and 18, great night to come out here. Josh runs an excellent youth program here. Um, great time. 
Wednesday nights at the Wynn household mean that I'm home alone all day with three kids and a puppy, and I've had to quickly learn the difference between peacekeeping and peacemaking to maintain my own sanity. When I was peacekeeping, I was trying to get everyone around me to just calm down so I can calm down, and my scolding and frustration just bred more frustration and chaos. But when I learned to peacemake and say, oh God, guys, pause. Come here, we're all feeling a little chaotic inside. Can we just take a beat and pray together? I started to notice a shift. There was one Wednesday night that Josh came home. I said, Josh, I prayed 20 times today for patience. And you know what came? Anger and frustration. Why? I was praying about this and the Holy Spirit revealed to me, he said, you cannot access the fruit when you are cut off from the vine. I was wanting the fruit of the relationship by bypassing the relationship. And that's not how it works. Peace and patience comes from abiding. We get to set the tone. Um, we can control our, this nourishment of our souls and we can have a well within that we can draw from even when everything around us is chaos. And we get to create the atmosphere, which brings me to my second point of things that are in our control, and that is our words. Proverbs 10, verse 11 says, The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. I love that illustration of literally the words in our mouth being a fountain, just bursting forth life. Um, I recently found this study done by Ikea. They were doing a study on their plants um, with this class of kids to teach them the effects of bullying. They had two groups of plants. The first plants were fed a speaker where the kids could speak words that were kind and nice and praising to these plants. The second group were fed speakers where the kids were to bully the plants, speak mean things to them and ridicule them. Now everything else was kept a constant. Same dirt, same fertilizer, same amount of water, same amount of sunlight, the only variable was the words that were spoken over them. And they did this for 30 days and then recorded their results at the end. And the kids found that the first group of plants that they spoke kind words over were thriving and vibrant. And the second group that they had ridiculed, they were withered and noticeably droopy and everything else was kept a constant. It reminded me of the fig tree. Um, in Mark chapter 11, verse 12, it says the next morning, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. He noticed a fig tree in full leaf a little way off. So we, he went over to see if he could find any figs, but there were only leaves because it was too early in the season for fruit. Then Jesus said to the tree, may no one ever eat your fruit again. And the disciples heard him say it. If you skip down to verse 20, it says, The next morning as they passed by the fig tree he had cursed, the disciples noticed it had withered from the roots up. Peter remembered what Jesus had said to the tree the previous day and exclaimed, Look, Rabbi, the fig tree you cursed has withered and died. Wow. Imagine what our words are doing to our kids. If this is the power they hold over soulless plants, what are they doing to the people around us? 
And it's not just because of the power of God in Jesus' voice to that fig tree. The Ikea study was a secular study. And the words they spoke still had held power over the lives around them. How we speak to and about our kids shapes how they view themselves. So it's so important that we emphasize the good and downplay the bad. You know, I didn't know that I had the gift of encouragement until I was a teenager. And a youth pastor had told me, just in a moment, you have the gift of encouragement. Simple words spoken. Changed the trajectory of my life as I became a good steward of that gift. And those were just words spoken in a moment. So it's so important we do the same for our kids and those around us, that we emphasize the good, downplay the bad. Don't label them by their sin. Course correct and move on. Pull them back to who God created them to be. I want to say it again. Please do not label your kids by their sin. If you keep calling your son a liar, that's what you're speaking him to be. Show them that we see them not by their sin and their biggest mistakes, but ask God to give us a vision of the potential he birthed in them from the beginning, who he wants them to be, and call that forth. Speak that over them. Um, I was on Instagram the other day, and there was this little reel that's been trending recently where it has like this voiceover that says, show me something that you're supposed to like but you find annoying. And all these moms span their camera over to show their kids. And it's done as a joke and good fun, they think. But all I could see was the kids in the background who just heard their mom say, I don't really like you, and actually I find you annoying. And I just think about what those words are doing to them. You know, when I was, again, in high school, it must be a really transformative time. Um, I was out with friends, and somebody who didn't even hold a lot of value in my life, another teen, had said, Amy, you are so annoying. And you know those words wrecked me, and they shriveled me up into a less confident version of myself, and it took me years to regain my confidence. And those were words spoken probably in jest in just a moment, but they changed my life for the worse. And we as parents have an even more impactful voice in our kid's life. It is so important that we guard our mouths. James 3.3 says, When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. With our words being so incredibly powerful, we must carefully spend them and speak them. With that said, I want to address another destructive aspect of our words, and that's complaining. I heard this quote one time by Bill Johnson. He's a pastor out in Redding, California. He said, complaining is to the devil what praise is 
to God. I want to say that again because it's so good. Complaining is to the devil what praise is to God. And before I go further into talking about complaining, I want to make a distinction. There's a difference between sharing our burdens and complaining. And the difference lies in your motivation. When you're sharing your burdens, you're coming to someone in a trusted relationship and talking about your hardships with the goal of seeing hope and encouragement of moving out of that. Complaining doesn't have that goal. It's the goal is to shine light and focus on what's hard and continue to sit in that. Um, I got my kids this magnifying glass recently, and it's amazing. They'll come out and they'll look at the ants, and what's so tiny under the lens of a magnifying glass just takes up your whole view. And it's the same way with our focus. What we choose to focus on and magnify can suddenly become all we can see. So what are we magnifying? What are we making big in our lives? What are we choosing to see in our kids? Can we not see past their sin nature and their biggest mistakes? Or are we looking through the lens of grace? Take a deep breath and give grace. I was reading this book the other day where this mom was feeling so defeated and she went to her husband and she said, I have tried everything and they keep messing up, they keep fighting, I don't know what to do. And her husband smiled at her and he said, Sally, at what age did you stop sinning? That's the age you can expect our kids to stop sinning. And that really hit me, because I don't know about you, but I'm still messing up. Um, and it reminded me that I have been given immeasurable grace. God has extended so much grace and has forgiven me so much. And we are called to extend that same grace and forgiveness. We have the privilege to live out the gospel, not just to preach it, to talk about it, to teach about it, but to live it and to embody grace. That's our calling. It's not a full-time job. I really hate that saying when people call motherhood a full-time job because you will, you will get resentful when you realize how much overtime there is and the lack of pay. <laughs> no, it's our calling. We have the privilege to disciple. And we are the main voice and shaper of our kids' maturity and growth in Christ. That is our great calling. And one of the greatest ways to do this is to be like Christ. Because our kids, they imitate what they see. Um, babies learn how to talk before, um, before they understand what they're saying. They just mimic what they hear. They mimic the sounds coming out of their mom and dad's mouths. And they just mimic what they hear before it even makes sense. And, you know, it continues. Like Josh, I saw him mowing the lawn the other day. And Noble ran to the garage and got his little bubble lawnmower and was walking the same lines that Josh was walking with his lawnmower. They mimic what they see. And so we want to mimic or we want to set an example for something worth imitating. The hope is that they imitate us as we imitate Christ. You know, being a parent has been my biggest catalyst in my spiritual journey. It has caused me to really reflect on what am I showing my kids how to address the hardships in life and how to be in this world. But know that we cannot be the end all 
be-all for our kids. We're not going to be perfect. We are supposed to come to the end of ourselves. My favorite verse of all time is 2 Corinthians 12, 9. It says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. I love that because I am weak and I mess up all the time, but it's the perfect breeding ground if we will allow it to be for Christ's power to rest on us and in our lives. But know that it's never microwavable. It's never instant. Romans 12, 12 reminds me, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. You see, the gift of ease is just in that moment. It's the easy moment. But gifts that are long-lasting and eternal take hard work and pushing through, as Brian said, pushing through it even when it's hard. To welcome in spring, the kids and I, we got these little clay pots and we painted them and we filled them with dirt and patted the seeds in, watered them, and we were going to grow these beautiful flowers. So we did that and 15 minutes later, the kids are looking at the flowers. An hour later, they're looking. Later that night, the next morning, they're looking and we all know there is nothing to see. The seed packet said it would take two weeks, which take to a kid that feels like eternity. Sometimes as parents, we grow weary and frustrated when we're looking to check and there's nothing to see. But we're called to continue on even when we don't see it, to water even when we don't see the results, gently and persistently sow into our kids, trusting that God will match our weakness with his power and will rest on our circumstances and our efforts. Now, I want to end with an invitation. And this is an invitation that was given to me early in my motherhood journey. As I was sitting in the quiet with God one time, he pulled me into this vision of myself moving around at a frenetic pace, moving from task to task to task, stressed and frazzled. The phone was ringing. Somebody from work needed me. Nora's diaper, she was a baby at the time, was drooping and sagging, and she was crying. Josh had a question. I was trying to get dinner on the table. I was frantically chopping soap, carrots so fast that I chopped off my fingers in the vision. And the whole time I'm doing this, um, God was, or, yeah, Jesus was tapping me on the shoulder saying, Amy, I said, hold on, God. I, I've got to get dinner on the table. I'll talk to you later. And then God came to me again and tapped me on the shoulder, Amy. No, 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 I got to change this diaper, talk to you later. And then the Holy Spirit showed me the invitation was to never stop what I was doing, to never put off the diaper change, not get dinner on the table, to drop the knife. Well, maybe I should have. But um, the invitation was never to stop everything and to go away into the quiet. No, the invitation was to slow down enough that I could feel his presence with me and invite him to fellowship alongside me in the muddle of the everyday, to gain his perspective and see what he sees in my circumstances that I can't even see. And that's the invitation I have for you today. May you find freedom today. May you learn to slow down, to give in to the process, 
to shower your kids and those around you with words that bless and nurture and to abide and allow God to be magnified in you. You were called for this great work and God will be faithful to equip you. All right, I'm going to invite Josh to come up and conclude our service.